on today's show. The middle of March is here. The madness is upon us in the basketball world, and we have a mailbag about the Atlanta Hawks at the end of the show, a brief look at the NCAA tournament. Stay tuned for all that and more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1431 of the Lawton Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening here in mid-March. And today's show is brought to you by Ultimate Basketball GM. If you've been dreaming about managing your own basketball franchise, check out the app at Ultimate Basketball GM or visit UltimateBasketballGM.com. If you do that, you can get 100% free boost when using the promo code Locked On in the game. And also, at the top of the podcast, I want to tell you and encourage you to make us your first listen here at Lawton Hawks each and every day and anywhere you get your podcasts. Check us out at Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Play, as well as on YouTube over on the video side. And today's show is going to be a mailbag for the most part. And at the end of the podcast, we'll talk about some NCAA tournament stuff because, yes, it's just college basketball in some respects, and not every NBA fan loves college basketball, but there are some NBA draft implications. So at the end of the podcast, I will answer a question about the draft and uh, some guys to keep an eye on over the next few days if you are a Hawks fan or just an NBA draft fan overall. But the Hawks do not play again until Friday evening. Um, in lieu of a formal preview of that game, uh, I will be recording just you know this mailbag and talking about some Hawks-related topics. Of course, big picture, last 10 games now under the post-Nate McMillan regime. The Warriors, who the Hawks play on Friday, have not yet played on Wednesday. As I record this podcast, they have a late-night game on Wednesday against the Clippers, so stay tuned for that. But the Hawks will be at home in that one. The Warriors have been brutal on the road this year, like bottom five in the league brutal on the road this year. So that'll be an interesting game. Uh, Steph Curry and company coming to town on Friday. But before we get into all of that, and I will have a new a new show, by the way, after, the, after that game, as always – but we'll, guide, we'll get into your questions now, and I've been stockpiling these for a couple of weeks now. So uh, thank you for those, and definitely keep them coming. I'll be doing some more mailbags in the future. I'm basically going to become a pseudo full-time college basketball writer for the next few weeks. I have some travel ahead of me. I have some NCAA tournament stuff to, uh, to be diving into. So I will still make sure, of course, to cover the Hawks in the same way that I always do. But lots of busyness happening this time of year. All right, we'll dive into the questions right now. And the first one is probably the one that I got the most in certain forms in the last couple of days. And it comes from Kelly, who says, is the defense for the Hawks as bad as it seems? And what is going on with the defense? Uh, first of all, yes, it's been that bad in recent days. The Hawks are in the bottom five of the league in defensive rating since the All-Star break, which is that 10-game sample. And again, that is the post-McMillan sample, two games of Prunty and, and now eight games of Quinn Snyder. Um, not a huge sample size, obviously, 10 games. I will always tell you it's not the biggest sample in the world. The Hawks are giving up more than 119 points per 100 possessions. That is plainly awful, even in the fast-paced, offensive-leaning environment that the Hawks and the NBA are in right now. It is so bad that the Hawks are actually only 5-5 five and five in the last 10 games, despite having a top-five offense in the league. It's hard to be in the top-five of the offense and actually be only 5-5, five and five, but that's because the defense has been so bad over the stretch. Now, there's some variance here. They have the worst opponent field goal percentage in the league in that sample. 51.4% from the field for the, for the opposition during that 10 games. Near the bottom three-point percentage allowed as well, about 39%. Bottom five in assists allowed, more than 27 per game in that sample. And they're 28th in location effective field goal percentage allowed. And that's the stat that's unfamiliar to you. It basically tells you the shot quality of where the opponents are taking their shots from. And being that low, third worst in the league, is very bad. That means opponents are getting to the rim a lot, taking a lot of threes against you. What you basically want to do, this is obviously very simplistic, and it's not quite this simple, but what you want to do on defense is force a lot of mid-range attempts, if you, if you possibly can. 
and avoid corner threes and avoid rim attempts. Um, the Hawks on offense is kind of a similar thing in reverse where they take too many mid-rangers, et cetera. Teams are also shooting better at the rim and much better from floater range against the Hawks in that in that sample of the last 10 games. So anyway, I can go on and on, but it's a two-part problem. At least when it comes to the big themes, obviously there's more than two problems, but as far as like the, the two pillars of the defense, here we go. So number one, it's the same problem they've been having all year on some level. And that is that the perimeter defense and the containment and the point of attack resistance has been quite poor in the last 10 games. Quinn Snyder, who of course just got here, has talked about this in press conferences pretty openly. So it's not like it's a secret. They're not hiding from it, but the Hawks are generally doing a terrible job of affecting opposing creators on the perimeter, containing the ball, forcing teams to be uncomfortable, um, uh, sort of filtering teams where they want them to be going on offense. And the Hawks do have better turnover creation this year than in the last couple of years before this. Some of that's having DeJounte Murray at the point of attack as a guy who's really good at getting steals with great hands. Trey Young's hands have been better this year, et cetera. But the Hawks basically have a lot of guys, I would argue at least three, if not four guys, who struggle badly on the perimeter in their rotation defensively to contain the ball. Of course, Trey Young has been better in the last couple of months, but the last couple of games or two, he's been kind of back to his old tricks in some, in some ways. And he's pretty clearly still a negative defender. That's not a bad thing, obviously. You can live with that. Trey Young is an awesome offensive player, but that's just kind of the reality on defense only. DeJounte Murray, I think, has been far worse than expected. I, I think that than even the, what the team expected and what the public expected. I, I know that um, his reputation, I, and I heard this going back to the summer when they acquired him, um, Spurs people that covered him were like, look, his, re his rep on defense is probably overstated at this point in time. Um, it's been even worse than I may, maybe thought, especially when it comes to on-ball containment. Murray is still a good playmaker defensively. He's got great hands, good instincts, et cetera. But just as a as a one-on-one on-ball guy, it's been pretty rough this year. Then you get into Sadiq Bey and Bogdan Bogdanovich, who the Hawks need for shooting on offense. They are their two best wing shooters on the roster, but they're both, I'll say to be charitable, quite shaky defensively, especially in moving their feet. Bogey is a step slow at this point in time. His, his legs are not quite the same. Sadiq Bey is bigger and certainly plays some four even for this Hawks team on occasion. But his weakness right now, in addition to like just kind of awareness stuff, is that his foot speed, it's always been a knock on him, is that he's, he's a step or two slow as well. So both Bogey and Bay cannot contain perimeter creators off the dribble. That's just the reality. So that's four of the five guys who get the vast majority of the time in terms of perimeter minutes for this Hawks team. The fifth guy is DeAndre Hunter. And I think DeAndre is certainly the best of those five, but he's not this like incredible all-world stopper on defense as an on-ball guy. He's fine. He's good in a lot of ways, but he's not this like world-changing guy. And again, he's only one player. He can only guard one guy. In recent days, the Hawks have been playing Jalen Johnson more on perimeter on perimeter creators, and that can be effective. Jalen is very long. He's very active. He is very rangy and athletic. But as Snyder noted, as I've said recently, but he even said it and sort of admitted it on the podium the other night, Jalen has not been doing this very long and his communication, his screen navigation are weaknesses right now. So Jalen is still better than the other guys other than Hunter, but it's one of those things where like they have a lot of weaknesses personnel wise, and that's really hurting them. And I think I've been saying this since probably the first week of the season. If you're a new listener, um, you would not have heard this, but if you're a recurring listener, my apologies for repeating myself, but this has been the Hawks biggest problem all year long in my mind. Now there have been other problems for sure. But if you say, okay, what's the most consistent overarching issue of this roster and with this performance this year, I would have told you it's probably perimeter defense. And that's been the case, especially in the last 10 games. Now, from there, the number two pillar of this uh, sort of breakdown defensively, that the bigs have not been as good lately either. So for a long time, the Hawks have been basically building and filtering everything toward the bigs and having them clean up all the messes around, around the rim. That's been a flawed strategy. 
it's worked at times when famously when Capella was his absolute best two years ago, he was playing at an all defense level, like truly a top five defensive player of the year candidate level. And that was not coincidentally the Hawks best stretch defensively because he was just playing out of his absolute mind. It worked better then. it still wasn't great, but it worked better then. the last few weeks. Capella has been, I would think a quarter step slower. I think John Collins has been playing not quite as well defensively and the Hawks are giving up these free and I mean free runways to the rim on the perimeter. So all those factors together in the past, like more of that could be managed because it was basically awesome defense from Capella, Collins, Akongu on the back line. And, you know, it is what it is. Those guys are not playing quite as well, especially the, the, the two starters. And that is hurting them and kind of the, kind of the results have dipped. Again, it's more of an issue on the perimeter. But when you're relying on those on those starting bigs to be like otherworldly good as back end defenders, when they're not, it's going to be tough. Now, Akongu, I think, has played well for the most part defensively, and also Jalen has shown a lot more flashes. But even then, Jalen's playing more on the perimeter, and that's not a bad thing. But what, if he's playing the perimeter and he's playing next to a guy like Sadiq Bey, now Sadiq Bey is your secondary rim protector, and he can't do that. So there's personnel there's personnel challenges along the way. The numbers have been better with the bench units, for sure. That is somewhat because of who they're playing against. But the primary problem is the same, and the perimeter defense is just not good enough. The Johnson-Akongu pairing has worked very well in anchoring those bench units the last couple of games. But even then it's basically untenable to play a bench unit defensively that has Sadiq Bey, Bogdan Bodnanovich, and either Trey or DeJounte as the three perimeter guys. That's really bad defensively. Now, it's offensively, it's a lot of fun. So fundamentally, I think that it's basically a defensive personnel issue, and the Hawks are aware of that. Are they better than this? I think they should be better than this. So part of that is like they're not playing well. They're not executing well. Part of it's probably the transition. And I know that's one of those factors that's like hard to talk about on the outside of things is like, look, Quinn Snyder cannot just suddenly put everything he wants to do on this team in a 10 game sample size in the middle of the season. There's a reason I was consistently talking about how hard and unprecedented it actually is to bring in a coach like Quinn Snyder outside from outside, outside the organization in the middle of the season when you're trying to win. It doesn't happen for a reason. Now, Snyder has acknowledged that he likes it because it's going to give him a lot of information for the future. And even when his, his public comments, like they're obviously trying to win and he says that, but like it's a lot of it's like focused on the future. And I think it has to be because their team is not good enough to like win the title this year anyway. And I think part of the appeal for Snyder anyway to come in now was to learn about these guys and get his stuff kind of put in. But as far as the results are concerned, that isn't going to help the results. So we're going to need a bigger sample size on all of this stuff. I think it's pro it's prone to overreaction to be a 10 game sample size of anything, especially when it's the same sample size of post McMillan and the Hawks are struggling a little bit, et cetera. But they're in this period of transition right now where they're trying to emphasize different things. They don't necessarily line up perfectly. Like for my prime example of this has always been, you would not build the same defense to maximize Quinn Capella as you would to maximize Anyaka Kongu. Those are only two players that play the same position. They're both very good centers, but they're both very different centers. Same thing with a guy like Trey Young. Like you're, you're building around Trey, uh, it's hard to build like a switchy lineup around Trey Young. Um, you know, Jalen and Kongu are very athletic and rangy. You would you would do things differently if those guys were your primaries than if they're, if they're your backups, et cetera. So it's a bunch of mismatched personnel. It's this transition phase. And look, we're going to need more on all of this stuff and getting carried away by 10 games is probably overstated, especially in the middle of a massive coaching change to a high profile guy. But the results have been bad in recent days. And that is definitely hurting them. The offense has been great in recent days, but the def defense has not been. And uh, that's kind of where I am on defense right now. So 
I said a lot there, and, and I know that, but um, big picture, the Hawks have personnel that's not great. That's their biggest problem, and that's kind of very simple analysis. It's also, it's also just true, and I also think that they're not quite as locked in to what they need to be doing on a nightly basis because they are trying to transition, and that kind of makes sense, but it's also not helping the product at this particular moment. All right, we'll get into more mailbag questions in a moment, probably some shorter ones than the one I just answered for sure, but first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. I'm very excited by our new partner and sponsor on today's episode, and that is the mobile game Ultimate Pro Basketball GM. If you ever dreamed of becoming an NBA GM or managing a basketball franchise, your dream can come true, and this game is definitely for you. You can manage every aspect of the team, play through the season, and even lead your team to glory with Ultimate Pro Basketball GM. You're responsible for all kinds of things in the organization, hiring the coaches, training the players, training the players, making draft picks, and all basically generally navigating the franchise through stuff like free agency and all the fun challenges that happen across the season. This all happens in a realistic game world, and Ultimate Pro Basketball GM is completely free and playable offline. You can play on the go whenever you want to, as much as you want to, and we're already having fun behind the scenes, lots of trash talk between the Lots On Podcast Network hosts about whose franchises are better and all that fun stuff. It's really, really fun to connect with your friends who are also diehard basketball fans and much more. And if you're a listener to this podcast, as you have to be, just check out the podcast right now, you can get 100% free boost to the franchise when you use the promo code Locked On in the game store. Download the game right now at probasketballgm.com or scan the code or look it up in the app store. That is probasketballgm.com. And when you get there, use promo code Locked On. Ultimate Basketball GM, start your dynasty today. Okay, and the next question on the agenda comes from Walter, who says, how does the rest of the Hawks' schedule stack up this season? Uh, we're at the point of the season where the Hawks have so few games left that we can kind of do a little bit more on the schedule without it being just crazy to dive into. Um, it's about average as far as the schedule is remaining, um, according to other teams. As we're putting this together on this Wednesday, the Hawks remaining opponents have about a 500 winning percentage. That's obviously right in the middle of the league, so that's not so bad. They have seven home games, six road games. The games um, that are easiest on the schedule are San Antonio, Detroit, and Indiana. Indiana is better than San Antonio and Detroit, but for sure. That's also a home game for the Hawks, so that's one where they can't really afford to lose any of those games to have their goals met, to be honest with you. Um, two of the three toughest games they have remaining on paper are the last two games of the season. They have Philly at home, and then at the very end of the year, they have Boston on the road. Now, there is a chance that Boston's not playing for anything then, which would be helpful for the Hawks. If they're locked into their seating, I, I mean, the, the Celtics, the Hawks could probably make, steal a win there against the backups for the Celtics, but still, right now, a tough game on paper. They have three more back-to-backs remaining this year, and right now, the Hawks are 2-8 and eight on back-to-backs this year. I did have a Twitter follower named Pearson point this out to me. It was a good, a good find by him um, that the Hawks' schedule on the second half of back-to-backs has been pretty awful this year, like brutal. Basically, only one easy game out of the 10. It was a game against Charlotte that they actually lost, but that was the sixth game in nine nights. Those are really tough. And the last three are, these last three are really easier, I would say, on paper, but still um, back-to-backs have not been kind to the Hawks this year. Also, some games that are directly on the schedule against competitors in the East. They have Brooklyn on March 31st. They have Chicago. Um, once in early April, and then Washington on April 5th as well. That's three games in a row, actually, against three teams that they're competing directly with positioning in the East. And then, of course, Friday's game is the next one, which is Golden State at home. Warriors are pretty scary, but as I said before, one of the worst four teams in the league this year, sky-high upside, etc. Um, Projection-wise, the Hawks are basically projected most places to be 500 on the year, 41 wins. That makes sense. That's basically what they've been so far this year. There is a, there, so there is some room for Dogs to close better than that, like, you know, eight and five, nine and four, something like that. If they get a little bit hot here. But, uh, you know, at the same time, the schedule is kind of what it is. And um, projection wise, I think I'd probably go somewhere in the seven and six, maybe eight and five range down the stretch. Nothing going to blow your socks off. And that would be uh, sort of probably keeping them in that seven or eight spot at this point in time. Okay. Question from Bryce, who says, now that we've seen more than 65 games, do you think the Hawks need to really invest in a backup point guard for next season? 
And he says also, it seems like having someone like the Lon Wright would have been helpful, but also he sees that the Hawks don't really play another point guard most of the time. So it's a good competition to have. It is nuanced, though. I've been, of course, vocal as a DeLon Wright supporter, generally speaking, but he would help the team a lot. But crucially, DeLon is not just a small, normal point guard. He's 6'5". He can play both he can play both guard spots. He's a great defender. He's unselfish. He doesn't need the ball. So obviously, I'm very high on DeLon, but I don't think it's necessarily about DeLon. It's kind of like the Hawks don't really need that traditional small backup point guard. They do need, in my mind, another guy who can handle the ball, run the offense a little bit, whether it's a point guard or not, and then also have some defensive heft because we're getting into this in a second, but Bogey is kind of the third ball handler on this roster most nights. Obviously, Jalen Johnson can do that a little bit as well, but as far as like guys who are playing more minutes and are more perimeter-based right now, Bogey's the third creator. That's not really where you want to be, and also he could leave next year. So, you know, for instance, I think Aaron Holiday was a good signing for the minimum. Like the minimum is not a big appeal. Aaron Holiday as your like fifth guard is a great signing, but I've described him as the world's shortest three and D guy because he can't really run an offense, um, and that's fine. There's value in that. He's you know, he can shoot and he can, play, he can play defense, but he can't handle the ball for you. So signing someone else that is either a third point guard who can actually run the offense would be probably helpful, especially if Dejounte or Trey is out for whatever reason. Um, and then also be a perimeter player who's not necessarily a pure one. But if you go that route, someone has to enough, enough size to guard wings and at least take some secondary responsibilities on offense. Th this team has neither one of those things. They don't really have that backup point guard and they don't really have that DeLon Wright guy or even that like, you know, hybrid wing creator. And maybe Jalen Johnson does more of that in the future. But, you know, anyway, as a reminder, Trey and DeJounte have been really healthy this year. DeJounte's missed five games. Trey's missed seven games out of almost 70. You can't bank on that every single season. It's obviously helpful. But it would have been even more glaring had they missed any time. But the Hawks need probably one more guy that can handle the ball. So um, it doesn't have to be DeLon Wright or anything like that. But to answer the question, I think the Hawks need somebody else that can run their offense out of, besides Trey and DeJounte. And right now, they don't really have that. Bogey is the closest thing. Maybe Jalen Johnson in, in transition. But they need one more guy who can legitimately say, okay, for five minutes in a game that matters, you can actually kind of run through that guy, at least as a, as a secondary option that they were kind of missing in this year. Okay. Uh, Bobby Marks tweeted something about incentives that confused some people. So I'm going to kind of clarify this now. Uh, earlier this month, Bobby Marks of ESPN tweeted that DeJounte Murray achieved an incentive bonus. And I got a lot of questions about that. So basically DeJounte made 500,000 extra dollars for making 125 threes in a season. It was considered to be unlikely because he's never done it before. So that's kind of how contracts work without going all the way down that rabbit hole until you do it in an incentive. Uh, it's, it's kind of graded as unlikely. And then he actually did it. So the Hawks were playing on this. He's been on pace for it all year long. So that was not, not, a, not a surprise to anyone locally as far as cap and tax stuff. Also, I said this earlier in the season a few times, but Murray and Capella both have multiple incentives in their contracts. Um, with that said, this is the only one that is projected to be reached by either of them. Um, Capella has three incentives that are out there still. He gets an extra million dollars if the Hawks make the conference finals and he plays 2,000 minutes. It's not impossible for him to get the, to that minute level, but it's very unlikely at this point in time. He'd have to average like 35 plus minutes a game every game the rest of the season. Not likely to happen. So I think that one's probably a cross off. Um, same thing for his 500,000 for a 30% defensive rebound rate at 2,000 minutes. Because again, minutes are unlikely and he's actually below that mark defensive rebounding wise right now. By the way, he's in the top 10 of the league and defensive rebound rate for the year, and is still below that number because that is a super high number. So that's not likely to happen. And then Capella gets 500000 as well for shooting 65% of the free throw line. That was always a tough one for him. He's never been close to that. He's having his best year at the line in about four seasons, but he's still well below that at this point. 
Murray has two more as well, 500K for 58% true shooting mark. Not impossible, but he's well below that right now, and he's probably already uh, kind of you know at a, at a career high for for his. Uh, I would say it's not likely. He'd have to go pretty crazy down the stretch to actually get, to actually get there. And then the last one is five hundred thousand for Murray to make an all defense team. Now he actually made one in twenty eighteen, but I'd be shocked if he did this year. Now, obviously, I talked about this earlier. His reputation is still, I think, higher than his actual play. But the Hawks being a bad defensive team this year is always going to hurt everybody like that. I don't. I don't think he's going to get that that uh, reputation bump to be an all defense guy. So. Long story short, the Murray three-pointer one is going to be the only one that I think anybody's going to hit, and the Hawks are still well below the tax line, so no, really, no real concerns there. They don't have to worry too much about that. But uh, if you're wondering how incentives work, they're the only two guys on the roster that have them, and it looks like they're going to go uh, one for six in actually reaching them over the course of the season. Okay, uh, one more here before we get to another break from Chris, who says, sorry if I missed it, but did you talk about Bogey's apparent plan to opt out of his contract? All right, so Mike Scotto of Hoops Hype reported that Bogey is, quote, expected to, end quote, decline his player option this summer. I would not go as far as Mike did. He's a good reporter. I'm not doubting him, but I've not heard that it's, like, expected. I think it's probably more likely than not. There's a feeling around the league that he's likely at the market if he is healthy. I want to stress that. If Bogey gets to the end of the season and is still healthy at the end of the year. That is not a given. Bogey has been limping into the offseason a couple times in the last couple of years, including this last including this last season. So it, assuming health is a big factor here. But if you assume health, I think it would make sense for Bogey to hit the market. Now, he's not played at the same level this year on the whole. I think he's taken a step back defensively because of his, 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 his probably his, honestly his lack of mobility. But the short version of the argument for Bogey to opt out would be that he can lock in long-term money and that is $18 million for next year. That's a lot of money, but it's not crazy high. In fact, it's not really worth, quote unquote, the same as it was when he signed the deal. When he signed the deal, $18 million um, was well over 16% of the salary cap. That's a lot of money. Next year, it's going to be 13% of the salary cap. So it's just like $18 million is not what it used to be, basically. It's more than the mid-level, but not by that that much. So I think it's not really like seeping in just yet, like how much inflation is going to matter on these contracts. The cap is going up very fast. People have outdated thoughts about this. Like 20 million a year used to be like a very good starter. Now it's like basically like a low end middling starter. 25 million a year used to be a star, like basically close to the max. And now it's less than 19% of the cap. Like 25 million a year is just like pretty good starter money at this point in time. That's going to sound crazy for a while, but people kind of catch up to it and uh, keep that in mind for all this stuff. Anyway, Bogey's going to be 31 in August. If he's healthy, he can command a similar, like, I would say a similar deal to what he's doing now for multiple seasons. And if he can do that, it would be smart to go ahead and do that. Also, he might be looking for more playing time or a starting job, et cetera. He might be also in the market to sign with a contender if he wanted to get like a four-year mid-level deal with a team that he wants to go to to kind of maybe go in a championship. He's made a lot of money in his career. Also, the Hawks might be looking to, you know, play AJ Griffin more next year. So he's on this roster now as well. That doesn't help Bogey in terms of role. So, you know, Bogey is valuable to this team. I've made the point repeatedly that when the Hawks have been their best over the last three seasons, it's because Bogey has been good. I'm going to say that's not the only reason why, but he's been a big part of that. When they had their huge run, it was his best run of his career. That's not a coincidence. He really raises their ceiling quite a bit when he has it going. But for now, I'm basically just going to lay out the cap, the, the cap structure with and without Bogey every time I talk about this because it's not a given, but with the reporting, what I'm hearing I think it's more likely than not, if he's healthy, that he declines the option, hits free agency, and the Hawks will only have a very easy way to actually replace him. So we'll get into kind of 
why that is in a second. I'm going to have some uh, some tax and future planning stuff coming in a moment to answer a question from Brant that is uh, on the way. But first, before I get to that, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. The best time of the year is here in college basketball, as well as the stretch run in the NBA. And is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 at FanDuel. And these bonus bets coming back to you. If your first bet doesn't win, download the FanDuel Sportsbook app right now. It's safe. It's secure. It's super easy to use. You can buy anything you're looking for in the sports world. That includes point spreads and totals and money lines and futures and player props. The Hawks are off until Friday, but there is wall-to-wall college basketball action, and the rest of the league is still going on right now as well. FanDuel bring the lines that you need across the board. From there, find many exclusive bets with FanDuel, and they let you combine bets together for a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. Don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That is FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar, and the Built March Madness bracket is here. I am sure you have a favorite by now of Built Bars or Built Puffs, and now is the time to express that opinion and make it count. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites right now. And my personal favorite, of course, is Cookies and Cream. That's the one that I'd be voting for in this particular instance. But if you want to support the podcast, vote for whichever flavor that you might enjoy. And, of course, that could include Cookies and Cream because it's definitely the best flavor in my opinion. But when you also vote for your favorite bar or puff, you'll be entered into a drawing. Or 50 lucky listeners of Lockdown Podcast Network will get a free box of Built Bars. Not only that, but one fan will get a 12-month subscription to Built to have their bars or puffs delivered monthly straight to their door. If you haven't tried Built Bar yet, it's time to stop waiting. Go ahead and do that right now. They taste fantastic. You won't even know that they're good for you just by the taste that they're that good. Every bar is also high in protein, low in sugar, and also covered in 100% real chocolate. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or puff. Pick up a box while you're there. You can vote every day in March. So hop in now and support your pick at BuiltMarchMadness.com. All right, we're going to end the show with some NCAA tournament NBA draft talk. But first, a question from Brant who says, I'm confused about the roster for next year. You have said the Hawks won't be in the ledger tax, but they didn't trade anyone. And I think you said that would put them over the tax for next year. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't really get that, how they could be under the tax now, but over next year without making a big move. So I want to be clear. I said the Hawks will not be in the ledger tax this season. That's been the case for the entire time. I've been preaching that since the summer. They won't be. That does surprise people. It does not surprise me. They cut Herder. Uh, sorry, they, they traded Herder to cut money. They did the Rockets deal to cut money to get under the tax while also getting Bay, which is a, a, look like a pretty good move to get to the Bay. Um, they cut money in the Mohawkless trade. They didn't make the line right, a competitive offer because of tax avoidance. The Hawks were clearly, no matter what Tony Russell says, getting under the tax this year. Now, the Hawks have a lot more salary on the books for next year than this year because DeAndre Hunter more than doubles his salary. This year, he's on, his, on the final year of a rookie contract. But if you remember, he signed a lucrative extension. So he's making like nine points something this year, up to over $21 million for next year. Also, tr- guys like Trey and Capella and Collins get raises between their contracts as well. So the Hawks have roughly nine guys guaranteed for next year for $145 million or so on a projected $162 million tax line. So that does include Sadiq Bey. It does not include Garrison Matthews or Bruno Fernando or beat Krejci, or Tyrese Martin. All of them have non-guaranteed contracts. Also, by the way, part of the appeal of Matthews and Fernando in that trade was that they have those team-friendly deals, but you have to cut them to actually get down to that number that I just gave you. So also, that $145 million number of not for nine guys has nothing for the first-round pick the Hawks have this year, which costs money, or any cap holds. So it is tough to tell where the Hawks will be picking at this point in time but um, you have to fill up the roster no matter what. So functionally, it's more like nine or ten million dollars under the tax, with, and that's with five minimums around the top nine guys, which you probably don't want to do. 
with bogey on the roster, you're already over the tax line with 10 guys. Again, 10 guys over the tax line with four more roster spots to fill. So there is no way realistically or any real, any real way for the Hawks to quote, quote unquote, run it back with everybody, including bogey and be under the tax. It's not possible. Okay. So if the Hawks didn't do anything, they'd be over the tax. Um, I am skeptical they'll go into the tax, but I do think that it's possible. Whereas last year I was very dismissive and said, look, they're not going over. And I heard that over and over again for next year. I am not saying that I am definitely in believe it when I see it mode about going over the tax line, but I am not like firm screaming it from the mountaintops because they could change, especially if there's a CBA change in philosophy of ownership, or maybe the rules will change in the CBA. Maybe they made a promise to Quint Snyder to spend. I don't know. All those things could be in the, in the mix and they could go into the tax line. But for this year, that was never happening next year. We'll see. But to bring it all back, the Hawks have to cut considerable salary to get out of the tax if Bogey opts in. And again, I think he's probably going to opt out. Probably, not definitely, probably. But that would be, and they'd be right up against it already with Bogey off the roster. I'll save some of this stuff for later, but the natural guys to trade would, of course, be the three expensive veterans. Bogdanovich, if he's still there, Capella, and Collins. They've flirted the Collins trades for a while. Bogey's been at least on the market-ish the last couple of years. And I think because of the Okongwu emergence and kind of the decision to make making there, it shouldn't surprise anyone if any of those three guys or maybe more than one of those three guys is not here next year. So we'll get into all that later on, but that's kind of the rough estimate and uh, you know, Bogey's decision will impact the Hawks. And by the way, the Hawks have nothing to do with that. It's his own decision. It's a player option. They can't, they can't impact either way. But, and also as a quick reminder, they could, if they wanted to, if Bogey opted out, they could still sign him again to a longer term contract. I'm not sure they're going to do that with AJ still there and, you know, sort of taking a step forward, et cetera. But that's also a possibility along the way. All right, last thing on the show is going to be a question from Ant that I will use to frame this up. He says, uh, I almost missed the days when the Hawks were so bad. You talked about the draft all the time during the season. <laughs> I need you to tell me who to, who to watch in March Madness this week. So anything you have would be good. Um, I do appreciate the question for sure. If you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you will certainly remember that I covered the rebuild extensively. And by the time it got to March or April, the games didn't matter for the Hawks anymore. Obviously, you were still doing evaluation, but they were out of the playoffs. They were, you know, doing ping pong balls, um, all that stuff. And I covered all the way through that whole run. Um, so this time around, in the last few years, when they've been good, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to do a lot of dra draft stuff during the season. I, I did do a two-part episode with Brian Schroeder, my friend who covers the draft very well, back in January. And we'll have a lot more draft stuff once the Hawks are done playing this year. But since it's the NCAA tournament this week, I am going to go through a few things by region, just talk about some guys to keep an eye on. This is not going to be a deep dive. I'm not going to give you all my opinions. It's just kind of an overview for people that are not dialed into the draft stuff right now. And the big real theme for me about this class, the top guys are not playing in college. <laughs> uh, Victor Wominyama, of course, Scoot Henderson are, for me, the top two. They're not playing in college. The Thompson Twins are two more guys in the top 10. They're an overtime elite. Julian Knight, of course, has a couple more potential first-round guys in addition to Scoot. Ryan Repair is a first-round pick in the NBL. Um, there are some guys also that are playing in college. They're not going to be in the tournament. They're either hurt or on bad teams. Cam Whitmore of Villanova is a lottery pick, not in the tournament. Bryce Sensiball on, on Ohio State, not in the tournament. Taylor Hendricks, UCF, not in the tournament. Gigi Jackson, first-round pick potentially at South Carolina. They were awful this year. Jed Howard, Kobe Bufkin for my Michigan Wolverines. First-round picks, in my mind, not going to be in the tournament. So that's 13 or 14 guys I just named that are potential or maybe even probable first-round picks that are not going to be playing in the tournament. So that's kind of a, a little bit of a damper on this particular week. But I love college basketball still, and there are plenty of guys to watch. So we'll go read my region here quickly. In the South region, Alabama is the number one seed, number one overall seed. And, of course, Brandon Miller is the headliner of this particular draft class in this NCAA tournament. Contestant's top three or four pick in the draft. 
Um, there's actually been a lot of talk about him versus Scoot Henderson. I still lean Scoot there, but it's not like totally insane. Um, Miller's a good prospect, obviously. Um, that's a guy to keep an eye on for all kinds of reasons in the next few in the next few weeks. Uh, Noah Clowney, Alabama, also is a potential late first round pick. Kind of a combo big man. It's pretty raw in some ways, but very interesting defensively. Uh, Arizona has a second round pick probably in Azulis Tabellis. 6'11", big, might be a second-round pick. He's basically been, like, super productive in the Pac-12. Not the best transition to the NBA, probably, but a guy to keep an eye on. Baylor has a couple guys. Keontae George is a potential lottery pick, and I think Adam Flagler is a potential second-round pick. I'm not the biggest fan of Keontae George, but he's still a good player. Uh, very powerful. Like, he's gotten comparisons to Eric Gordon and stuff like that in the past. Flagler is more of a sleeper, but he's actually a local guy. He actually played at Duluth High School in Gwinnett County. Um, played a Presbyterian. Started starting his college career, but he's actually been this, this high-level shooter at Baylor the last couple of years. Um, he's got decent size. I think he's like 6'3 as a point guard. So I got to keep an eye on in the second round. Um, Creighton has Arthur Kaluma, who I like a lot. Second round pick, probably 6'7 forward. Good defender. Traquavion Smith from NC State is a guy to keep an eye on in the South region. Maybe a late first round pick. He's very athletic. Probably should have left last year in my mind, but still might be a top 40 pick this year. Um, and then Kobe Brown in Missouri is a guy that I think would be a second round pick potentially as well. Uh, in the East region... Purdue's number one seed. Uh, Zach Eady is the national player of the year for me in college basketball. He is a 7-4 behemoth. He's an awesome college player, and I don't think he's going to be able to play a lot in the NBA. He's just too lumbering. But he could be a second-round pick and could be a re- useful guy, like maybe Boban style in the league. Obviously, that's a pretty natural comparison. But he's a good player. It's just that he's uh, limited for the modern NBA. Uh, Tennessee has Julian Phillips. is a 6-8-4. That's kind of like a do-it-all kind of guy. No great tools but still 6-8 defensively like should be a first round pick probably in my mind case of wallace from kentucky i like a lot he's a firm lottery pick for me it's a 6-4 kind of combo guard type great defender solid shooter more of a role player but honestly would kind of fill that role we talked about earlier that the hawks don't have in the absence of delon right of delon right so if he were to fall too far and land with the hawks in the middle of the first round i would sign up for that duke as always has three guys in the first round probably kyle filipowski very interesting offensive big man who's really versatile but Defensively, going to be a challenge. He's more of a fringe first-round pick. Derek Whitehead, 6'6 wing, can shoot it, has great pedigree as a scorer. Hasn't had a great year, was banged up some, but a guy that could, that could, rise, that could rise again. And then Derek Lively was a huge recruit for them, seven-foot center, definitely more of a rim runner. Um, defensively, he's been very good lately. He started really a lot early. He was kind of like off the radar entirely, but obviously could be a first-round pick that rises up the boards pretty quickly. Uh, Bryce Hopkins of uh, Providence. Actually played at Kentucky and then transferred to Providence. He's actually going to face Kentucky in the first round. That'll be fun. And then Marquette has a couple guys as well. Um, the Midwest region, number one seed is Houston, who I love, by the way, as a college basketball team. Just fantastic. Anyway, Jairus Walker is a top 10 pick, 6'8", monster forward, does everything well in defense and has some intriguing offensive skills. My pal Brian Schroeder has compared him to Paul Millsap, which is, of course, a Hawks-based comparison, but that tells you why I love Jairus Walker. Not really in the Hawks' range, should be gone by then, but definitely a guy that would be awesome if he fell that far. Uh, Marcus Sasser, also on Houston's roster, got hurt in the AAC tournament. Might be sidelined or limited early in the tournament, but a top 30 or 40 guy for me. Older guard, but is really, really good. Um, Indiana has a guy that I like for the Hawks in Jalen Hood, Jalen Hood Shafino. Um, 6'6", not going to be a star, but like a 6'6", you know, combo guard wing type guy who can handle it and pass and defend and play hard. Like him a lot. And then Trey Jackson Davis is like 23 years old, but he's a national player of the year type of player in college. Awesome guy. More of, more of a uh, long-term fringe pro NBA player, I think, but still could be uh, useful. Colby Jones of Xavier is a 6'6 wing. That'd be very interesting. Good slasher, good passer, decent defender, more of a two probably, but still a first-round guy for me. Uh, Iowa has Chris Murray, who is the brother of Keegan Murray, a top 20 pick for me. 
really polished, productive offensive player. Should be pretty solid enough on defense. Not terribly exciting, but certainly would be on the Hawks' radar for me if the Hawks are picking in that 15 to 18 range. He would be definitely on the list for me. Uh, Texas has Dylan Mitchell, who's like kind of off the radar for them on the college side, but he was a big-time high school prospect. More of, a, more of a project for sure. Not a huge factor with Texas, despite all the tools he has. Uh, Drake is a sleeper pick for many in the actual tournament. Tucker DeVries is the coach's son. He would have been a much bigger recruit than going to Drake, but he's, again, the coach's son. That's why he went there. Six, seven wing, really skilled, plays a little bit of four, uh, maybe a little bit of five, small ball five for them, but a draftable pick for sure. Miami and Penn State have, have these interesting guards. Isaiah Wong from Miami is a actually was the ACC player of the year this year, shooting it well, more of a second round pick for sure. Jalen Pickett from Penn State is like 24 <laughs> old man game. I buy it though. I think he's actually an NBA player, probably more of a you know bench guard in the NBA, but could definitely score in a crafty kind of way. And then the last region to wrap it all up here quickly um, is the West. So I'm actually going to be covering the West um, in person. So that'll be fun. Um, anyway. And then the Houston final four is after that. Uh, Kansas is the number one seed. This is a loaded region. It's the best region by far, as far as like Ken Palm teams, and all that stuff. Uh, Kansas has three guys. One of them is a lottery pick probably in Grady Dick. 6'8", great shooter, good feel on defense. I'm sorry, on offense. Defensively, he was really bad early and has gotten better. He's very long. He's really skinny, pretty weak, but a guy who I think should be a really good offensive player in the league. Kevin McCuller, great defender. Um, team should be looking at him in the second round. Jalen Wilson, very productive. Will be drafted. Not a, not a huge prospect, though. Uh, and then a pretty insane 8-9 matchup of prospects. Arkansas is the eight seed, and they have two top 15 picks. Um, plus another guy, Ricky Council, that could be. Uh, also, Trevon Brazil is hurt, but he's also draftable. They have four guys, probably like, like top 40, probably, or so. Uh, Nick Smith was a huge recruit, was out for a lot of the season, but is a big-time shot creator, likely a lot pick. Anthony Black, I like a lot. 6'7", guard, wing type, can do everything, defend, pass. Um, not a great shooter, not a great athlete. That's kind of limited stuff there, but has good, good enough size to be okay with all that. Council is more of a top 40 guy, but a great athlete. Could be uh, interesting in terms of a uh, project kind of guy. Uh, Terrence Shannon from Illinois has been around forever. I kind of like him as a three and D prospect. Um, Coleman Hawkins maybe is a late second round pick at six nine six ten in the front court. Uh, Gonzaga is kind of off the radar this year compared to the last couple years, but Julian Strother has uh, is a really good shooter. He's not athletic at all, though. Unfortunately, if he was more of an athlete, he'd probably be a top twenty pick. He's probably more of a French first round guy because of that. Uh, Drew Timmy is very famous and is still there. Not an NBA guy for me probably because of the defense, you just can't hold up there, but should absolutely kill it in Europe and could be an NBA player on the fringes, a la like Luca Garza, different kind of player, but some kind of similar path. Um, UConn has guys that are interesting. Um, Jordan Hawkins is a, a top 20 player, probably. Movement shooter on the wing, should be able to defend enough. Um, Andre Jackson as a defender, as a passer, is pretty good as well. Mike Miles of TCU to keep an eye on, an awesome college player. Really awesome when he's healthy. More of a French prospect, but still draftable for me. And then finally, at the very end, UCLA in the bottom right corner of the, of the uh, brackets that you're seeing. Anyway, uh, they have Jaime Jaquez and Amari Bailey and, and Adem Bona. Jalen Clark is also a top probably 45 guy for me, but he's hurt right now. He's going to be out for the uh, rest of the season. I've always loved Jaime Jaquez. Really smart, good defender, plays hard, can handle the ball. People are mixed on him. I like him as like a top 45 pick probably in the draft. Kind of low upside, but certainly could be a bench guard in the league for a long time. Uh, Amari Bailey was a famous high school prospect. He should be playing more now with Jalen Clark out. And then Adebona is like a draftable big, maybe like a top 50 guy-ish for me. So all kinds of players. I know I just dated a lot of players and kind of similar, uh, you know, synopsis and stuff like that. It's, uh, there's, you know, I just, I named probably, you know, almost close to half of the teams have somebody to keep an eye on along the way, especially the top seeds. 
Bama's got Brandon Miller. Baylor's got Keontae George. Those are kind of the two lottery picks in the uh, in the South as far as or we top twenty guys. I'll just kind of name re- rename at the end of the podcast now the the potential Hawks first round pick candidates for me. Obviously Miller's, Miller's going to be gone. George could probably be gone too, but he could be on the, he could be on the list. Um, Terquavion Smith from NC State maybe. Julian Phillips from Tennessee, maybe as a mid to late first rounder. Kaysom Wallace from Kentucky as a potential late lottery, early uh, sort of mid first round pick. Um, the Duke guys, I think Whitehead in particular um, and Lively, maybe if the Hawks wanted to move on from Clint, could be a nice, interesting backup piece. Um, Jarris Walker will be gone by the Hawks time, by the time the Hawks pick, but I do think Jalen Hutchifino of Indiana is a guy to circle in a big way. Same with Colby Jones of Xavier, Chris Murray of Iowa. Those are all prime Hawks contenders in terms of like the zone that they'll be drafted in. Um, and then maybe Grady Dick as a specialist, probably not necessarily the best fit because of his defensive questions, but uh, could be drafted in the Hawks range. Anthony Black, I think, I think Nick Smith will be gone by then, but I think Black may, may slide a little bit. Jordan Hawkins could be in the Hawks range as well. That's probably it, but that's, you know, that's seven or eight guys that I just named that could be realistic Hawks first round picks. So uh, keep an eye on that in the future. And that's sort of my uh, little breakdown. By the way, I would probably pick Houston to win the championship if I had to, but there is not a clear number one team by any means. I think that this is a, uh, just from a, a college basketball standpoint, a very wide open tournament. I think there are probably 10 teams that could win it, something like that, maybe 12. So that's pretty interesting. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'll be covering it all. And uh, hopefully that did not bore everybody at the end of the podcast. Okay, a long mailbag show on today's show, but hopefully that was enough to kind of bridge the gap in between games from Monday to Friday. Again, the Hawks play on Friday evening. I will have a breakdown of that game at some point that evening in the middle of NCAA Tournament Badness. Please subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play. We're also over on YouTube. I beg of you to auto-download the show and leave ratings and reviews. All the clicks and all that stuff really matters a lot. I do appreciate it. Please follow my Patreon work on the written side. That is patreon.com slash btroland. Follow me on Twitter at btroland. Follow the show on Twitter at Lots on Hawks. I do appreciate everybody listening to the end of the podcast, and we'll see you after the game on Friday.